0: So the New York Times just published an extremely racist screed, um, and they it starts with the tweet. They you know, they published this article. They tweeted it out. The tweet that um, accompanied the article said, New Hampshire is 94% white. It is now trying to figure out how to change that. And the article itself is is fantastically bigoted. So I want to just read you the first few paragraphs of this article just so you can fully comprehend the racism that we're dealing with here. So this is what it says. Catalina Celentano used to hold training sessions for hospital workers in Lynn, Massachusetts to familiarize them with the cultures of patients from Cambodia, Russia, and the Dominican Republic. When she moved to New Hampshire, she suddenly found herself in an ethnic vacuum. Now, maybe we should pause there for just a moment. An ethnic vacuum. So what? She she went to New Hampshire and she discovered that the people in New Hampshire have no ethnicities, that there are, there are no ethnicities. It's a vacuum of ethnicity. So these are these are human beings who are walking around and living and they have zero. So where did they come from? Did they sprout out of the ground? Did they fall from the sky like uh, like dewdrops? What happened? No, no. E- even white people have ethnicities T- to insinuate that white people have no ethnicity. Is just it's it's not only insulting but it's crazy. It's like when you hear it's like when we we hear uh, well there are people of color and white people. It's no, I I have a color also. It, I mean it might be a lighter color but I definitely have a color. I I'm not I'm not colorless for goodness sake. It, I mean if if you came to Earth from like an alien planet and you didn't know anything about the human species and, and then you started hearing well there are people of color and then white people, I, I would imagine. So what I what, what I would imagine are like normal creatures who have color. And then I would imagine white people as being these translucent, colorless monstrosities walking around where you could see their bones through their skin because they have no color. Um, it just, it doesn't make any sense. But that's one thing, at least that's kind of a figure of speech, I understand. But to say it's an ethnic vacuum, because it's, all, it's, it's a bunch of Caucasians living there it's just, it would be like if I moved to Mongolia, and discovered to my horror that it's only a bunch of Mongolians living there. And I said, this is an ethnic vacuum. There's no, there's, there are no ethnicities here. And someone said, well, there are are Mongolians here. Well, yeah, but except for them, except for them in Mongolia, there's nobody else. What's going on? Salentano, Mrs. Salentano said, uh, I went from being able to speak Spanish every day to not speaking Spanish at all because there wasn't anyone to speak Spanish to. The only person I spoke Spanish with was a cleaning lady, and she moved back to Colombia. Okay, I don't really think you have a right to complain that people in a, in a state, in the United States of America, only speak English. That is, after all, traditionally, the language that we speak here. So once again, it would be like if I went to South Korea, and then complained that everyone's speaking Korean here, what's going on? I mean, back home, Back, back home, I, I spoke English every day, and then I moved, to, I moved to South Korea, and I haven't spoken English in days. What's happening? I don't understand. What could have possibly happened? What, what change occurred? I'm so confused. Whatever, whatever happened to the whole, I, I guess we've completely done away with the idea of assimilation at this point, haven't we? Of course, we, we did away with that a long time ago. But now we don't even pretend, we don't even pretend that assimilation is the goal. So that we're actually now writing articles, lamenting the fact that a, uh, a native Spanish speaker moved to New Hampshire and has to speak English. God forbid she had to assimilate in one, in, in the most basic way of speaking the language that people speak there. The article, now let's get to the really racist part here. It says, New Hampshire, like its neighbor, Vermont and Maine, is nearly all white. Shame on them. Shame on them for being all white. How dare you? This has posed an array of problems for new arrivals who often find themselves isolated and alone without the comfort and support of a built-in community. It also posed problems for employers in these states um, where it could be a barrier to recruiting and retaining workers of different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds. The issue prompted about 100 business leaders, government officials, and members of nonprofit organizations to meet Thursday to search for ways that New Hampshire, which is 94% white, might lure other racial and ethnic groups. Which, by the way, is kind of just creepy to speak of luring racial groups. We've got to lure some racial groups in here, you know, cast out the, the lure and reel them in. Now, so that we can really conceptualize how racist this is, let's just imagine for a moment that we made it, we we changed a couple of words in those last three paragraphs. Just change a couple of words around and let's go back and read it again. And let's see if we can really see the racism this time. All right? So imagine if the article said this instead. Detroit, like Atlanta and Birmingham, is nearly all black. This has posed an array of problems for new arrivals who often find themselves isolated and alone, without the comfort and support of a built-in community. It also posed problems for employers in these states, uh, where it could be a barrier to recruiting and retaining workers of different ethnicities. The issue prompted about 100 business leaders, government officials, and members of nonprofit organizations to meet Thursday to search for ways that Detroit, which is 83% black, might lure other racial and ethnic groups. So change just a few words and suddenly it becomes extremely, extremely racist. All you have to do is just swap out the race that's being discussed for a different race. And all of a sudden, the racism just jumps out at you. And it's actually, I should amend that. It's, it's not that it becomes racist all of a sudden when you change out uh, uh, white for black. It's that now the racism is apparent to even the most obtuse observer. It is obviously racist to treat the preponderance of a certain race in a certain area as an objective problem. It is racist to look at the percentages of, of different, of you know, to, to, to look at a certain race and say, oh, they have a majority percentage. Let's try to lower their percentage just for the sake of it, just because we want fewer of those types around here. That is the definition of racism. It is racist to treat a certain race as if its existence in an area is a problem. Now, the only way to alleviate the racism in this case, and this is what leftists will do, especially leftists who have uh, been been recently uh, miseducated in an academic institution, especially in college, because this is what they teach you in college what they teach in college now is that racism by definition applies only to the racism of white people, but never to the racism against white people. Now, that is not the definition that you're going to find in the dictionary. If you look up racism in the dictionary, you won't find that. But this is the the, the definition of racism that was invented by leftists in the last, you know, couple of decades and now taught as fact it is a totally arbitrary random made-up definition for they took a word that had a real meaning and then they just made up a new definition and started teaching it in school and said no race this is what racism means now and now you'll have leftists anytime you talk about racism they'll come in and they'll correct you and they'll say well no actually racism is all about power dynamics and whatever group is in power can't be victims of racism yeah, who told you that? Where are you getting that from? No, that's not what it means. That maybe is what your college professor told you, but he made that up. That is not what the word means at all. If you hate a certain race, or if, you, if you're prejudiced against them, you're racist. It doesn't ma- Nothing else matters. That's racism right there. And also, just, by the way, if racism, if it's um, a non-white person can never be guilty of racism, on the basis that well they don't have power and you know and anyway their hatred of white people is justified so it's not ra- well before we talk about the you know we won't, we won't even get to get into the fact that um, if it's all about power dynamics then how did this definition still hold even when we had a black president but we won't even get into that what about the racism of non-white of a, of a non-white person towards other non-white groups so what if a black person hates, for instance, Asian people? Is that also not racist? Or I, I guess our nation's uh, university professors will tell us that that doesn't exist, that there's no racism there. Racism was a, is an invention of white people and uh, it, it, it doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, apparently. Now, a couple other points I wanna make here. First of all, let's talk about diversity. Organic diversity. That is, diversity that happens naturally over time is fine. It's a fine thing. I wouldn't even call it good. I'd say it's it's fine. It's like just sort of neutral. There's nothing inherently problematic with a certain race being the majority in a certain area. So there's nothing wrong with that. If you go to a town and it's just a bunch of white people, that's fine. It doesn't matter. They're just people living their lives in a place where they want to live. Now, if they, ex- if they had a rule that they excluded other races or they, other people of other races and ethnicities tried to move in and they were chased out of town, well, that's a problem. But um, that's not the case in, like, New Hampshire. If you go to New Hampshire and you go to a small town in New Hampshire, you find a bunch of white people, they're not chasing anybody away. It's just they're living up in the mountains in New Hampshire, and that's just nobody else has thought to move there and live there. So it's not a problem. So we can't say, well, you know, it's we could improve this area by adding diversity. You're not going to improve it. I'm not going to say, I'm not saying you're gonna make it worse either. It's just, it does, it's just a, it's a lateral move. So you had a bunch of people with a certain skin pigmentation, and then you brought in other people with, with darker pigmentation. Okay, great, fine. Okay. You you didn't improve it. It's just, there's still just people living there. That's all. But again, it's fine. On the other hand, engineered diversity. The diversity that happens when social engineers look at a place and say, there are too many of this kind of race. That is bad. Okay, that's a very bad form of diversity. It's very bad. It's bad because it's racist. And racism in the name of of diversity is very self-defeating. And it's also bad because of the arrogance involved. I mean, think of the arrogance of the government officials who sat down in New Hampshire and said, there are too many of of this sort of person. We, We need to bring in a particular percentage of these other kinds of people. That's what we need to do. Who are you to determine that? Who puts you in charge of that? What do you mean there are too many of that kind of person? What scale are you using? Who appointed you arbiter of these things? What do you mean too many, too few? Based on what standard? And how is that any of your business or any of your concern? It's not. It's not your job to organize the racial makeup of society. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. You really don't need to have a very in-depth knowledge of history or world events to realize that it is always bad news, always bad news. When governments get into the business of racial engineering, that is never good nothing good ever comes of that, ever. Second thing, this stuff, this, uh, this nonsense, like what we're talking about here with um, the New York Times and New Hampshire, this is partly where white supremacism comes from, okay? Now, obviously, white supremacism is a bad thing, just like racial supremacism in any race is a bad thing. But so this is not obviously about justifying white supremacism. It's about pointing out that white supremacism and white racism, which certainly does exist, is a social phenomenon with various roots. And this is one of the roots. Now, the primary roots are bad home life, bad parenting, lack of moral formation. I think anytime you have racist people, that's going to be a big part of it, maybe the primary part of it. But when you've got a white kid, with that kind of background. And he emerges into a world where his race is treated like it's something he should apologize for, where his existence is seen as a problem, as a thing that has to be corrected. And he's told that like he doesn't even have an, eth- an ethnic identity whatsoever. He-, he is a vacuum of ethnicity. You're trying to drain his identity from him. Then he's going to understand him like a little bit ticked off about that and maybe more ticked off than the average person, given the fact his, that he has a bad home life, no moral formation, so on and so forth. And then what, what happens there is that the white supremacists can come in and exploit his bad upbringing and, and his grievances about how his identity is treated in society, and they can pretty easily recruit him based on that. Th- this is how it works. This is how you make racists and bigots in any race. If you're interested in making more racist, this is the way to do it. Great job, New York Times. I mean, this is exactly how you do it. You make people into racists by by trying to make them feel ashamed of their own race and their own identity and their own history. If you go up to a crowd of people and you, whatever their race, and you say to them, there are too many of you types and by the way, these are all the bad things that you're guilty of, apologize for those those things. If you go up to a group of people and you say that, you have just helped to push a certain portion of those people into racism and bigotry. Now, it will be their fault ultimately for succumbing to it, but you helped push them there. So you also are partly to blame. A lot of young white men who are already lost and without identity, are being encouraged, you know, into extremism because of how their identity is treated by the media, academia, and the government. That's just a fact of the matter. So what these institutions are doing, media, academia, and government, they are very deliberately sowing racial discord. They are not trying to, to help with assimilation. They're not trying to help bring people together. They're not even trying to help with diversity. They are, they are trying to sow resentment and anarchy and hatred between these different groups of people. And when they succeed in doing what they are clearly trying to do, can we really say that they bear none of the blame whatsoever? This is just, I know we're told that like we're not allowed to complain about because we're white, so you know, if you're a white person, you can't complain about this blatant, bigoted nonsense, but uh, no, we can complain about it because it is blatant, bigoted nonsense. And it's harmful. Now, you and I, as normal people, we may be able to read this kind of stuff and we can laugh it off and say, oh, these idiots. But um, there are a lot of people who aren't as normal and who are unstable. And they see this stuff and it's just driving them, uh, whatever their race, it's just driving them in different directions, further away from each other further into hatred and, and resentment. So thanks a lot, New York Times. Mission accomplished. Great job. All right, that's going to do it for me, guys. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Godspeed.